Good morning. It's great to see you here today. Um, isn't worship of our Lord wonderful? Just to have a few moments like this during the course of the week where we get together and uh, can lose ourselves corporately in adoration of God, and the visuals are so great. And I don't know about you, but this is like precious moment. Um, sometimes we take these things for granted, but we should just, wow, lately I've been thinking, God, you're so good. And it's just good to get with your people and just love on you. This morning, um, I want to begin with, with, with asking a question. Have you been sick yet this winter? It seems like in the middle of winter, about this time of year, there are a lot of really nasty colds and some flu. And then if you're one of the unfortunate folk, you get something like pneumonia or, or something a little bit more serious. How would you feel if you went to the doctor and he or she said to you, you know what, this infectious bacteria or this infectious virus, it's no big deal. Just make peace with it. Just learn to let it cohabitate your body. Just make the best of this bad scenario. Would you accept that from your doctor? If, if, if your doctor says that, my advice to you is change your doctor. We would never make that kind of a, a peace with something that would destroy you. I have a picture of Ebola. And some of you are familiar with Ebola. Um, do you want to be friends with this virus? Do you want to say, come cuddle in my arteries? I would love to have you be part of my existence. This virus causes cells to explode. It uh, basically will attack any organ in your body. We would never say, Ebola, you are my friend. I invite you into my life. This morning, we're continuing our Becoming the Body series from the book of 1 Corinthians. Today, Paul brings us to this spiritual incompatibility moment. He says, listen, the wisdom of this world, those things contrary to God, which I liken to Ebola, they're incompatible with the wisdom of God. As the body of Christ, we can't make peace with spiritual Ebola. We can't say, it's just a little Ebola, it won't do us any harm. We would never do that physically, would we? But spiritually, we frequently try to make peace with things that are basically deadly to us. Paul, as he's talking with the uh, Corinthian church, he's bringing them to this realization that they had this tendency to embrace these philosophies of the age that were destructive, that were causing harm in the body of Jesus Christ. When they were willing to dabble in these contrary systems of thought to that of God, they were essentially saying, we can have just a little bit of Ebola and we'll be fine. You know, one of the things uh, we were talking about, this, this isn't in my notes, but I think it was Pastor Aaron was saying this the other day. You know, in, in former times, and I've read about this, if you wanted to lose weight, you would swallow a tapeworm. Come on now, you should go, ah! That's stupid. Now, we wouldn't do that, right? No? We wouldn't say, 
uh, I'm going to have a tapeworm in there and cohabitate my, let it just cohabitate my body and my digestive. Ooh, it gives me just the willies. At this time of year, I like use hand sanitizer as my lotion. How about you? I just, I just, you know, I'm concerned about, I don't like to get sick. I don't like colds. I don't like flu. And so I do a lot of prevention if I can to keep from getting sick. Spiritually, we need to get to that same conviction, don't we? Where we are understanding some of these things that are contrary to God, we just can't dabble in them. They're just, they're going to be harmful to us. And we have to, in a sense, have the willingness to have some spiritual hand sanitizer thing going on here a bit. Um, the Apostle Paul is going to bring us to this big thought today. And it's, it's talking about the message of the cross, or he's talking about the message of the cross and what I'm going to read to you. And I'm going to explain what that means in just a moment here. But let me give you the point and then explain it as the day unfolds. Uh, here's our big thought we're going to talk about this morning. What you do with the message of the cross, what you do with the message of the cross results in spiritual life or death. Basically, the message of the cross divides you into the living or the perishing. And, um, and, and Paul's going to talk on this idea that then you have to choose the life of God. You have to choose the wisdom of God. But, but, but get this. I want to take the message a lot further today than just talking about this idea that we, we need to receive Jesus, for instance, as our, our Savior and Lord. There is this, 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 this continuing thought that Paul's kind of trying to give to us this morning. is this. We have to become people who live under the wisdom of God. We embrace his ways as the life-giving ways. And we begin to recognize that the ways uh, uh, that are contrary to him, often called the ways of the world or the, or the philosophy of the age or whatever language you want to give to that, those things often are very destructive. They're not something we should dabble in and say, we could take a little bit of this and throw it right in our Christianity and we can do okay. Paul wants to take us to this convictional understanding that the wisdom of God is so superior to the wisdom of man that there should be no comparison thing going on in our lives and we should step firmly into the wisdom of God and let that govern all of our lives. Paul's going to use the term, the message of the cross this morning in, 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 in our First Corinthians reading. And I want us to understand what he's talking about today. So I want to talk with you for a couple moments about what that phrase, message of the cross, implies by using three words. Three words. The message of the cross, first of all, implies sin, that there's a sin problem. Um, we humans have a fatal issue going on. It's our sinfulness. Our sinfulness separates us from God. I've been through some physical challenges over the last couple of years, some medical issues. And here's one of the things I've realized when it comes to some of those kinds of issues in your life. You have got to know what the problem is before you can figure out the solution. Duh, right? But it doesn't matter how well-intentioned the folks are around you and how much advice you get and, you know, all that kind of thing. If you don't know what the issue is, you will suffer, right? Listen, if you don't understand, spiritually speaking, that the issue is truly sin and that this sinful tendency that we have is a sin sickness leading to death, then you will never take God's offer of salvation seriously. 
and you will listen to the world's remedies. Just think higher of yourself, just try harder, just have the right car or house or whatever, and you'll think all those things should make you satisfied and full, and none of them will because they're empty philosophies, because the basic issue that we have that needs to be dealt with when it comes to our soul sickness is sin. Here's the second word. Get the second word. It's salvation. It's salvation. Jesus came and died a, a, a substitutionary death for each one of us on the cross. He was uniquely qualified for this um, sacrifice because he's a perfect lamb of God that can take away the sin of the world. So he took on our death sentence as a penalty, so to speak, of our sin. And then when we, by faith, receive Christ as our Savior, then our sickness is solved. Our sin sickness is solved, and we're no longer terminal. We're now recipients of life. I've known some people who have had miraculous recoveries from a physical ailment. And uh, it seems like that does something to that person. They grab a hold of life more, right? They're so much more grateful. They begin to notice things maybe they didn't even notice before. Uh, they, they are walking around and, and saying, I'm going to live my life fully now because life's not a guarantee. And there's this whole gratefulness and zeal and understanding that is there because something great has happened in their lives. Listen, when you're born again in Jesus Christ, now hear me on this. When you're born again in Jesus Christ, he has solved your sin sickness problem. There ought to be what? Some gratefulness, right? Some new perspective, like life is so great. And you're just grabbing it. Doesn't matter what you're going through. If you have Jesus as your Savior, right? You have a different perspective. Circumstances don't determine your outlook. They don't determine what you see. You just see Jesus. And life is full uh, of this, this, this spiritual power of God in you. It's just fantastic. You ever think like that? Because we ought to, because this is bringing us to our third word. See, Jesus has not only come to give us salvation, to save us from our sin sickness issue, he's coming to give us life full and abundantly and richly. And the word that describes this is, 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 is sanctification, is sanctification. Through Christ's death on the cross and then his resurrection, he's gone to the Father and he says, now I'm sending you the Holy Spirit and he will live right inside of you. And when the Holy Spirit lives in us, he empowers us to become something we formerly were not. That's called being sanctified. And now we can walk a set apart from our former life and we can begin to love the wisdom of God and love the ways of God and live under those kinds of things. And we have the discernment to understand that the philosophies of this world that are built on something contrary to God, they're like an infectious Ebola trying to damage our souls. We begin to live like that, amen? And this kind of phrase should describe us. We are sanctified, Holy Spirit-governed, wisdom-led folk. Amen? That's who we're to become in God. So contained in the message of the cross is our serious goal, which I'm sure all of you are thinking, oh, yeah, that's really important to say that right now. But it is. 
in this series, we have this goal, to become the people God intends, which means our sin, sickness has been solved by salvation in Jesus Christ. We're now Holy Spirit-filled people and walking in that power. And then we're to become the church that God desires, this holy, set-apart people who love, who love the wisdom of God. Now we're ready to read 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 25. Listen to the scripture. I think you'll understand it now. For the message of the cross, sin, salvation, sanctification, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosophy, a philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I think it's kind of ironic. But our, even at the cross, you can see the difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom. You go to the cross, right? Christ is crucified on the cross. This was this implement of torture and death in Roman culture. It represented uh, criminals and, and justice done to criminals. So on this implement that humanly speaking and human wisdom says was death, God puts what? Life! Christ hangs on this cross and he becomes the life bearer for our souls, Amen? And you look at the cross and you say, humanly speaking, that thing is an instrument of death. But spiritually speaking, it's the wisdom of God. That's how this stuff works out. There's this dichotomy. There's this, 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 this counter, countering of the two, two philosophies in there. And even at the cross of Christ, they go, bam! And they run right into each other. I want to spend a few moments looking a little closer at these two groups, the perishing and the ones who are being saved. So first of all, to the perishing, the message of the cross is what? Foolishness. And Paul identifies in this perishing gang two distinct groups. First, there were the unbelieving Jews. They stumbled over a crucified Christ. Now, they expected Messiah, they expected the deliverer to be this kingly, political uh, kind of personality. They thought that they didn't need a crucified Christ. That was out of their box of God understanding. They just couldn't wrap their minds around it. And they make a mistake that so many people make. And by the way, this is an example of the wisdom of the world. They thought they could define God and how God should be instead of receiving God as revealed, as who he is. They succumb to what I call a classic wisdom of the age kind of thought process. God, you fit in this box. This is how you function. But God isn't going to be boxed up. 
He does things outside the box in our lives all the time, right? And oftentimes, what we have to do is get out of our box and let God move. And these Jews were constantly asking, these unbelieving Jews are saying, what sign are you going to give us that we may believe the message that you are sharing? And Jesus said, you're not going to get any sign other than the sign of Jonah. Now, do you remember the sign of Jonah? Jonah, in the Old Testament, spent three days and nights in the belly of a fish. And then the fish threw him up uh, on the shore. And Christ says, that's your sign. That is your sign. Because Jesus spent three days, right? After he was crucified, and then he was resurrected on the third day. There's a sign. They got their sign. But it wasn't in their box. So they didn't see it. They blew right by it. They thought, this is how God should work. Political deliverer, Messiah that we need, earthly king. But God said, no, crucified king. King that will take care of your sin sickness. That's what you need. But because they were saying, this is how God should be defined, they missed the revealed God. Sometimes in my own life, I don't know where you're at, Sometimes in my own life, I have to repent and say, God, I've been putting you in a box. Which means I think I can be in control. If you're in control of your life, God help you. Right? You are not in control of anything. God is in control of your life. And you've got to put yourself firmly under that control. Well, then there's a second group here, second group, the unbelieving Greeks. They could not see how one crucified on that cross as a criminal could possibly ever be a savior. They thought that was moronic thinking. They thought that was just, you know, I don't have to say it, stupid. They thought it was foolish. They tripped over the classic stumbling block of the wisdom of this age and the wisdom of the world that so frequently is stumbled over. They thought they were smart. Really, really smart. Um, supposedly, the Christian, uh, Corinthians were, were, were thinkers. When I, when I think of them, I see the sculpture of the thinker by the French artist Rodin. Okay? Now, here's my insight into this. If you really want to be a true thinker, you've got to get naked. Not sure why that works that way in Greek culture. But anyway, I guess clothes are just a hindrance to having a clear mind. Um, please don't come in here naked and say you're going <laughs> to... I could just see someone, oh, I'm getting naked and going to think. Don't do that. Don't say I said to do that. Aristotle said this. On every street corner, one met a so-called wise man who had his own solutions to the world's problems. Do we live in that kind of culture today? To turn on the TV, lots of wise men and women who have solutions to all our world's problems, and they're not afraid to share them with you. The wisdom of the age, whether it would be the Jews putting Christ into this box, or the Greeks thinking they were thinkers, the wisdom of that age, of that Corinthian church culture, was invading the church. It was like Ebola. It was causing then sickness and, uh, and, and death. 
The world says, talking about wisdom of the age now, the world says promote yourself. Philosophies our age say you can do anything you set your mind to. Well, I'm telling you, you can't do anything you set your mind to. I mean, it's a nice, cute saying, but, you know, you go stand on a 500-foot cliff, you jump off that and say, I'm setting my mind to flying. You won't fly. You will go down, and you will crash, and you will break bones, and you will get hurt and probably kill yourself. No matter how much you think you can do it, you can't. The wisdom of the eight says you deserve a good life. You deserve to be happy, but we can't even define what that is. <laughs> you know, these things do battle with God. You know what the Bible says simply to you and I? Die to yourself. Which means just don't think about yourself at all. The wisdom of God says, don't think about yourself. The world says, it's all about yourself. These things are contrary to each other. We need to get to the point where we are so immersed in God and so in love with God and so uh, on fire for him that he just occupies our minds. He just fills your vision. He interrupts and disrupts your life. Um, this kind of wisdom of God that I'm talking about is in stark contrast to the wisdom of the world. Are you seeing this? They are at battle with each other. The message of the cross is to put us into this group that understands the superiority of the wisdom of God. We're supposed to be in that camp. We're supposed to be in this life group, not in the death group. Let me go to the second group that results then from the message of the cross. To the ones being saved, the message of the cross now is the power of God. To the ones being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. They understand sin, salvation, sanctification, and all of its implications. They, you know, such a one understands, I've been born again in Jesus Christ, not by anything I've done, but by the work of God on the cross, and I've had the Holy Spirit given to me, and now I live life entirely differently. And you will see yourself as an alien. A soldier, you're on a journey here. This place is not your home, and you're not setting your affections on this country, so to speak. You're not setting your hopes on the right government. You're not setting your hopes on the right career. It doesn't mean you don't do things and you don't participate in culture, but you understand this is not our destiny. Our destiny is with Christ. And you know what I've realized about the cross? It's always in the way. For centuries, people have tried to ignore it and tried to pretend it doesn't exist, but the cross always divides you into the group of the living or the group of the dead. And if you're in the group of the living, then the wisdom of God needs to prevail in your life because you stepped out of the perishing, you stepped into the ways of God. And that Paul brings us to what I think is the intended result. Here's the intended result of everything I've shared with you this, thus far. It's this, the follower is to live in accordance then with the wisdom of God. We're to live in accordance with the wisdom of God. And now we're focused in, we're zoomed in on the problem that Paul is really addressing in 1 Corinthians. The Corinthians were being wrongly influenced by culture. Whether it be, you know, we got to be smart like culture, we got to do what culture does or whatever. They were being wrongly influenced by culture and they were bringing that right into the church then. And Paul says, has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? Why are you bringing it into the church? The worldviews of the ones being saved and the ones 
perishing are basically incompatible. They're like oil and water. They're incompatible. But you know why? Because they start at, the, at a different point. If you don't believe in God and if you reject God, then your starting point's different to where you're going to end up at a different conclusion. If you start by saying, there is a God, I do have a sin problem, I've been saved in Jesus Christ, now I'm being sanctified, and your morality is shaped by a creator God, not by human philosophy, right? And all these things are contrary to each other, they just don't go together. Um, by the way, I'm not saying unregenerative people, people who don't know Jesus aren't smart. There's really, I know a lot of smart people that don't know Jesus. I know a lot of really emotionally intelligent people that don't know Jesus Christ. What happens though is their conclusions about life and their philosophies about life that they develop usually are contrary, right? To, to biblical wisdom. And so when we begin to embrace these things and say maybe they have merit in my life, you know what we're embracing? A little bit of Ebola. Let me give you an example here of how this works itself out. It's, it's found in our reading this morning, but it's not obvious of how worldly wisdom can so easily enter into uh, the, the, the realm of the people of God. Um, Paul says here, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the intelligent I will frustrate. That's a direct quote from Isaiah 29. And what was happening is I, Isaiah 29 was the little tribe of Judah was coming under attack from the monster political mighty power in its day of Assyria. And so they were alarmed. And so thinking they were smart, thinking they were wise, thinking they were politically savvy, instead of crying out to God, they made an alliance with Egypt. Come save us, Egypt. And God says to that move on the part of Judah, I will destroy the wisdom of this kind of wise person. I will frustrate the intelligence of these kind of intelligent people. And basically God says to little Judah, you should have relied on me. Instead, you're relying on human institutions and you're going the way of the world and now judgment will come upon you. See, they thought this is wise, this is smart, this is what you do. You know, nations depend on nations. And God said, no, my people will depend on whom? Me. Amen? On me. So why should the worldview of those who reject Jesus be rejected? It's simply this. It begins with the wrong assumption, results in the wrong conclusion. If you want to go to Iowa, but you take I-29 and start heading north, where will you end up? North Dakota. I know that route well. No matter how well-intentioned I am, if I go the wrong direction, where do I end up? In the wrong destination. The wrong assumptions, the wrong beginning point, the wrong understanding of life, the wrong understanding of what problems are in life, the wrong understanding of your sinful condition, all that stuff. If, if that's all wrong, you will end up with the wrong conclusion. Romans chapter 1 talks in detail about starting at the wrong place, rejecting God, where that brings humanity. You can read that for yourself. What I want to do today is look at it positively. Not look at what's wrong with the world. I think we could see all that. How do we open ourselves up to the wisdom of God? I want to talk with you as we conclude this morning about how to open yourself up to wisdom this morning. And I'm going to use Philippians chapter 2. Listen to verses 5 through 8. Listen to this. This is how you open yourself up to godly wisdom. 
your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself what? Made himself what? Nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. See, you want to open yourself up to God's wisdom? Have the attitude of Jesus. Have the attitude of Jesus. Here are some characteristics of the attitude of Jesus. First of all, there's submission. Though Christ was equal with God, he what? Put himself under God. He submitted to God. If our Savior submits to God, what ought we do? We too ought to have a submissive attitude to God. God wants to dispense his wisdom to us. We need to receive that wisdom. Now here's the most important one I'm going to share with you in having the attitude of Christ. I think it is anyway. Dead to self. You are dead to self. Jesus simply made himself nothing. In other words, he didn't think about himself. He thought about God the Father and he thought about us. He made himself nothing. Therefore, the wisdom of God flowed freely into his life. Let me give you a bizarre example, but I think it's a good example of making a point. Say a buddy of mine comes to me, and he begins to share his life. He pours out his life, and he's got all these really bad problems. And I, in my attempt to be authentic and relational and help him to know I love him and I'm not above him, which we all do. Do you guys like authenticity? Anybody like authenticity in here? How many of you like vulnerability in here? You know, well, here's what we do in such a circumstance. We'll often say to our buddy, I, you know, I do the same thing or, or, you know, I've been there too and I understand what you're going through and I, uh, I, I'm with you on this thing and all of a sudden, you know what we've done? Unintentionally, by trying to be vulnerable and trying to be authentic with this person, we've kind of taken the shift off of him, the focus off of him, and where we put it? On ourselves. It's unintentional. But that happens. And, and, and then two, two, there can be a couple outcomes. This person can begin to, to rationalize, well, what I'm doing is not so bad because you're doing it too. That's not our desire, is it? And then the other thing that happens is, there was a spotlight of the Holy Spirit on this person. And now that spotlight's gone over to you. Here's what I'm saying. If that happens to you, that ever happens to you, try this experiment. I've been doing this a little bit lately. Don't even talk about yourself at all. This is not about you. This is about what God is doing in that person's life right now. Forget about you. Forget about yourself. And say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? In fact, what I would say, if someone's struggling with that, I would say, good. Don't take them out of that godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to true life change. Let them struggle. Let them stew in the mess for a bit, right? Be there, love on them. Don't save them. That's God's job. Our job is to let the Holy Spirit flow through us and touch that person. But here's an experiment I want you to do this week. It's going to be really hard. And a lot of you won't even try to do it. Don't talk about yourself all week. Don't do it. It's hard. Even when you want to have relational moments, don't talk about yourself. You're nothing. 
Try it once. I've been trying this. I could go about a half an hour. So you tell me how you do. I'm curious. This is hard. This is hard. It's really hard, okay? So there are three more kinds of, of, of pieces of this attitude of Christ. I'm just going to give these to you. You can think on these yourself. We're called to be a servant. We're called to have humility. And, of course, we're called to uh, obedience. Think how contrary these things are to the world we live in. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Okay. Submission. Dead to self. Right? Submission. Dead to self. Servant. Humility. Obedience. Wow, that's so contrary to this world's wisdom. I want to conclude today with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than men's strength. For the foolishness of God is stronger than man's wisdom, and the weakness, or it's wiser than man's wisdom, excuse me, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. That's worth memorizing. That's worth having embedded in your spirit. Listen, we can't coexist with the wisdom of the age that's contrary to God. It's like saying, here, Ebola, I'm going to inject a little bit of you in me, and I'll be fine. No, you won't be fine. It'll mess you all up. Hear this with an open heart. Much of what we seek after, we have in Christ. If we'll just receive it. So often, we want riches, or we want wisdom, or we want to have, uh, you know, security. Well, listen, in Jesus Christ, we have riches. In Jesus Christ, we have true security. In Jesus Christ, we are loved like no other love will ever be found. In Jesus Christ, we have peace. In Jesus Christ, we have a future. In Jesus Christ, we have a hope. The false systems of the world will promise you these kinds of things, but they cannot deliver it. Do you agree with me on that? They cannot deliver it. I want to close today with this simple recital of Ephesians 1, verses 17 to 21. Read, or excuse me, receive this. Receive this like it's the words of God to you this morning. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and this incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for this day, for this powerful, powerful section of Scripture. More than anything, God, I pray that everyone here would put themselves under Jesus Christ. First of all, as Savior. Life begins to be pieced together when we come to you as our Savior, Jesus. So for anyone here today that doesn't know you that way, I pray today would be the day, Jesus, that they just say, you're my Savior. I want to step into the riches and the glory of God and into the wisdom of God. And I pray such a one we receive you, you know, Jesus. And I want to pray for all of us that we'd be sanctified believers, that we would be in the camp of the wisdom of God, that there would be this Holy Spirit-led, Holy Spirit-anointed life that we're living out, that we realize the, your ways, God, are incomparable 
They're beyond any other ways. Your wisdom is incomparable. It's so much greater than the wisdom of this world. And so this day, Lord, set us apart as a sanctified people. May our minds be stayed on you. May they be focused on you. May we be in love with you more than ever. May you just disrupt our day with your, uh, your just holy interventions. May we just uh, look at you amazed and, and look at, at your greatness frequently, Lord. May we just be thirsting for you constantly. Holy Spirit, do all this work in us. Do all this work in us. And may we never be affected, Lord, with the Ebola of the wisdom of this age. God, we pray these things in your name, Jesus, and by your blood. Amen.